You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Just while the kids are going out, if you could open your Bibles to John 4. When I finally surrendered my life to Jesus. It was uh, August the 24th, 1997, I can remember it well. Uh, And I had, through the evening, been wrestling. I'd been wrestling with the desire to be in control of myself, of my life. The master of my own destiny, I was wrestling with this. In fact, at that point, I think I'd pretty much understood and came to the realisation that God was a reality, that Jesus was a reality and what he'd done for me was a reality. But what I still had difficulty with was surrendering myself, wrestling and yet conflicted. I, I was conflicted with the idea that I had made a mess of my life. In fact, I had made a mess, I was making a mess and left to my own devices, I would continue to make a mess of things. I, I was probably on my bed around 10 or 11 at night somewhere in that time. I was completely alone in my room. Uh, and as if all at once I had this vivid realisation of the weight of my sin. Uh, a heavy sense of shame seemed to come out of nowhere. The knowledge that I needed to surrender to the one who I could no longer deny was God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so I did. Uh, And though I was alone at that moment, in the preceding weeks to that, I'd received three separate invitations from three separate people that, that led me through the door through which I would meet with Jesus face to face. Three separate invitations, three separate peoples. The first invited me to church. I never went. Uh, The second invited me to a a dinner debate, as he put it, uh, and he actually sold it to me like this. This is your chance to try and destroy the Christian's arguments. He was a Christian, but he was clever. (laughs) He knew I'd take the bait. So I took the bait and I went along with the intention to ridicule and destroy their puny faith arguments. And the third was a simple invitation to a home with no strings attached. Not, Not come and talk to me about Jesus, nothing. Just come and stay for a while. Have a holiday. Somehow those three invitations work together in the dynamics of God's sovereignty to become one incredible invitation. The invitation from the King of Kings to me. Incredible invitation that would lead me to encounter Jesus. Now, growth within churches regularly happens through transfer. That is, Christians moving about. That is the most regular way that an individual church in an individual town will grow. Because people move into the town, or because they get fed up with the church they're at, and they move around, and and they kind of have a little bit of time. Or they just feel God's leading them to a different church for a different season to support. But the most regular growth happens through transfer. But growth of kingdom happens through encounter. Growth of kingdom. I'm not into growth of church. I'm into growth of kingdom. Encounter follows invitation. But, but actually incredible, powerful invitation 
has to follow from incredible, powerful encounter. So encounter follows invitation, come and experience. But, but actually the invitation has to come from an encounter itself in the first place. You, you cannot effectively invite somebody to encounter something unless you yourself have experienced it. That same incredible encounter. Uh, and this church is, if it's to grow, it's going to grow by us leading people to encounter Jesus. Not encounter church, but encounter the risen Lord. I, I, I mean this, I love church, but if I wasn't a Christian, I'd find it boring and I wouldn't be here. Honestly. The thing that excites me about church isn't that we all have a community song. I could go to a community choir and do that. It's not this sense of fellowship. I could join the old ladies at the bingo hall and go and have a bit of fellowship with them, you know. I, yeah. <laughs> like, like, honestly, I'm, I'm a 42-year-old guy, uh, and now, okay, now I'm coming into my own with this, and I'm thinking, yeah, I really appreciate the way we do things, but actually, as a 20-year-old guy, 20 years ago, would I have gone to church? Would I have thought that was the cool place to be? Absolutely not. What makes this exciting for me is the encounter I've had with Jesus and continue to have with Jesus. And if, if there is no encounter, why would I be stood here? Why would Andrew be stood here? He's kind of cool. <laughs> I'm not. If there's no encounter, what's the point? So if this church is going to grow, it's going to grow because we lead people to encounter Jesus, not encounter church. Living, exciting, powerful, able, joy-filling, life-giving, grace-outpouring person of Jesus. That's who we want to invite people to in this church. And in John 4, there's a woman who has an encounter with Jesus that completely changes everything. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. There's an encounter. Because of that incredible encounter, she's able to make an incredible invitation. And then the invitees have an incredible encounter themselves. It says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So let's go to John 4, and we're going to read from verse 4. John 4, 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. He was travelling from the Judean desert kind of area around Jerusalem as well, and he was travelling north, and he was, he was going back up to Galilee. It's a long way. It's a, it's a couple of hours in the car, and here's Jesus walking. No wonder he's tired. And it's about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater 
Then our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't have to get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, probably a bit freaked out at this point, I can see that you're a prophet. You know about me. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He's talking about himself there. He's a Jew. Salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshippers my Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So she's not actually taking his explanation at the minute. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And he says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. The first thing I want to dig out of this this morning, because that passage opens with the, the fact that he had to go through Samaria. Actually, no, he didn't. Is the Bible lying? No, the Bible's not lying. There was another option Samaria might have been the most direct route, isn't it, I guess, ish? It's kind of a a pretty direct route. But there are all kinds of reasons why Jesus should not have been at this well, in this town, in this land, talking to this person. Most of the Jews took the ring round, uh, ring round, (laughs) ring road around. (laughs) Most of the Jews took the ring road around Samaria. No one went through. They, They avoided Samaritans at all costs. They consider them to be inferior, impure, like crossbreeds is how the Jews' mindset would have been towards them because they were the result of intercultural marriages that were the consequence of the Assyrian Empire plundering and conquering that region. And they intermarried with the Assyrians. So now the Jews consider them to be impure. And that's why they avoid them. And then this Samaritan, who already Jesus probably shouldn't be talking to, is a woman. And at that time, no biggie today, at that time, seen as a second-class citizen. Wrongly, that's just the culture that was there, seen as a second-class citizen. So he, he didn't have to. There were other more respectable, less dirty options, and yet he was compelled... I believe that's why the Bible says he had to 
go through Samaria because he was compelled. It wasn't that he had to because society said you have to because society said the opposite. It wasn't that he had to because it was the fastest route because as David said, he's the Israeli authority in here. It might not have been the fastest route, but he had to because he was compelled. And, and you know this, God didn't have to rescue mankind. Didn't have to. He's God. If I do a painting and I ruin it, not that I paint much, but if I do a painting and I ruin it, do you know what I do? I screw it up and I throw it away and I start again. If I'm building something and I wreck it, which is normally when I'm building something, I, all of it comes down and I start again. He didn't have to rescue mankind. He, he could have ended it with Adam and Eve, like Ananias and Sapphira. Finished. Done. One chance. Boom. God could have done that. The flood could have been complete destruction. He didn't have to put Noah in an ark, and the kids are learning about Noah this morning. God didn't have to rescue Noah and his family. He could have just said, complete destruction. He could have held back the logos, the word of God. He could have held Jesus back. So why did he go into Samaria, the place that all others would avoid, if it wasn't for a shorter journey Why did he associate with a person that no one else wanted association with? The same reason that he walks into your path, into your life. The same reason that he seeks a conversation with you. He's compelled by his love for us. For God so loved the world. Do you get the so in there? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Who in here... (coughs) would give up their son for death, for any reason, any reason. Yet God so loved the world. He goes to the ostracized, he goes to the marginalized, uh, and by the way, we should do the same because we're no different. And if God does that, we should do that. There are all kinds of reasons why Jesus shouldn't meet us where we are, as who we are. All kinds of reasons, and yet he comes anyway, compelled by love, love divine all loves excelling. His love excels everything you know about love. And yet, we try to hide our stuff. Like the woman filling her pots at noon. Well, what does that mean? What does that signify? Listen, a bit of a culture thing here. Water jars were filled first thing in the morning or in the evening, in the cool of the day. Water jars were filled at those times because there was purpose for the water. You needed the water for washing and cooking and for, for purification and stuff like that. So you had to have the water beginning, in the, uh, beginning of the day, end of the day. Why is this woman there at midday? It's because she's trying to hide her stuff. She's hiding in plain sight. She's ashamed of who she is. She's separated from her community because of the weight of her sin and her shame and because the social expectations of the society in that day say, you're not good enough to be here with us in the morning and be here with us in the evening. Make your own time. And yet, social standards, social expectations were, are, and always will be flatlining with hypocrisy because there's no one righteous not even one so when I put that up there we hide our stuff you can read that I hide my stuff and, and, and you can read into that yes you have stuff there isn't a person in here that does not have stuff because no one is righteous not even one we're dirty we're flawed we're unworthy of heaven's attention 
And that's why we need mercy and grace and rescue, the kindness of a saviour. And the instinct to cover up is overwhelming. I know you know this. I know this. When I make a mistake, even if it's not flat-out sin, if I make a mistake, everything in me wants to hide that, wants to cover it. Let's get this straight right now. I have made mistakes. I will make mistakes. I am so flawed that I need the kindness of a saviour to make right what I make wrong in me. Scandals, cover-ups, hiding our stuff, we all do it to some degree or another. We don't like it because it's uncomfortable. You know, currently, the self-help market is, is estimated to be somewhere between 10 and $13 billion a year. That's self-help videos, self-help books, gurus, whatever it is, kind of I-can-be-the-best-version-of-myself books. It's worth 10 to 13 billion. Now ask yourself, are the people writing those books really interested in you being the best you can be, or are they interested in making something out of that 10 to 13 billion? Because there's no one righteous, not even one, and we can't even make our own righteousness, and yet we hate, we hate to look weak or flawed or sinful or shameful in any way, shape or form, and so we'll do everything, we'll spend millions trying to hide our stuff. It's kind of like, quick, somebody's coming around, sweep everything under the sofa. Because <laughs> that's what my house is today. I know, and this isn't, a, this isn't Jess. Jess is brilliant. I'm the messy one here. But I know that my house is just like, <laughs> this morning. I know there's, I, I, I think there are clothes of mine on the landing, uh, you know, outside of our bedrooms, you know, hasn't even made it to the laundry pile. I know that there are dishes in the sink that I should have washed up last night and I didn't wash up. You know, Rosie was right years ago when she said that Tom probably leaves his pots on the top of the dishwasher, they don't make it in. Well observant, Rosie. You know, uh, the dog has got stuff all over the floor. There's cardboard because she loves that and it's just ripped up everywhere. I know if somebody's going to come around to our house today... I'm going to go, quick, Jess, lift the sofa. <laughs> hide it. But it's spiritually dishonest when we hide our stuff. It's perhaps not directly lying, and, and actually everyone, everyone does this, don't we? You, you don't want me to see what you see in yourself. I don't want you to see what I see in myself. The truth is, if you saw me as, as I see... It's not a person that would stay in this church. <laughs> and yet, if, if you were honest as well with how you are, you'd go, oh, it's just the same as me. <laughs> it's just the same. The thing is, he knows. You know, you can, you can lie to everybody around you, or you can hide from everybody around you. You can even do that within yourself. You can lie to yourself and hide from yourself, not confront things in yourself. But you can't do that with God. Look what happens to the woman. He, he told her, go call your husband and come back. That sounds like cruelty, doesn't it? Because he already knows. He already knows the answer. Go call your husband. He knows that she's going to have to either lie and go, oh, I'll go see. Oh, no, he's out shopping. Sorry, come another time. Or that she's just going to have to be honest with him and say, I, I don't have a husband. And then he goes further. He says, yeah, you're right. Well done for being honest there. But actually, the truth is even further. Because I, when I'm caught, 
I'll, yeah, I'll put my hands up and I'll, I'll acknowledge fault. But you're not going to see the whole lot because there's still something I'm going to hide there. And so, so I'm going to hide and she does the same thing and Jesus says, no, he's not going to let her rest on that. He says, no, you're right. Well done for being honest there. But actually, you've, you've had five husbands and the guy that's with you now isn't your husband. He already knows our stuff. It's uncomfortable, but he gets straight to the point in our lives. Uh, and we want the, the softly, softly. We, we want the meek and mild. We, we want the, the baby, no crying, he makes. But you see, that baby not only grew up as a man, but is God and knows everything that there is to know about you. And he knows that softly, softly is not the best way for you. Yes, limitless mercy, boundless grace. But that starts with honesty. Because you cannot access or appreciate or understand the fullness of God's mercy and grace to you until you realize honestly how far we are. He knows. So we are fully known. Nowhere to hide, but get this. Fully known and yet fully loved. It's not a thought that you're thinking right now that God doesn't perceive. And it may be that even those thoughts that you're thinking now, God is not happy with. And maybe there's a conviction, a weight of conviction on you at the minute that you're trying to... That's obviously not God. God's all about grace and love, like mighty rivers. But there's a conviction there. Don't ignore it. Because if you want to get into those mighty rivers of grace and love, let him bring the conviction. Because there is no freedom without the truth. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. And the truth is, everything about you he knows. And yet, however rubbish you feel about that right now, he fully loves you. There is no shadow of turning in him. If you really knew what a gift he is, what a treasure he is, if you really knew the measure of his love, the greatness of his faithfulness, the depth of his compassions that are renewed every single morning, if you knew the parameters of his forgiveness, which is as far as the east is from the west. He says, if you knew the gift of God to this woman and who it is that asks for a drink, he would give you living water not just quench your thirst here and now. Not just make you feel better about yourself. Not help you to be the best version of you today and now. Not be able to present yourself as a together kind of person in your society. But give you rivers of living water that would bubble up and burst out of your life. And bring refreshing to everybody that you come across. And he mentions, as, as Messiah is mentioned by the woman, he says, I am Stop trying to hide from that. Stop trying to run from that. I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you right now. Because when I know that God is on my case with something, sometimes it can take me days, weeks, months to get to the place where I go, okay, I'm going to get on my face before you about this, God. And, and yet, if I just moved in the moment, like the woman and said, yeah, I'm, I've got to be honest here, God. He already knows. You think you're protecting yourself. You think you're safeguarding your heart, but you're hurting yourself when you hide from God. 
You're cheating yourself out of an incredible encounter with the water of life. If you're struggling with lust, tell God that. Don't try and fix it. And, and I'm, I don't mean don't do anything about it. Just, hey, carry on, do what you fancy doing. I don't mean that. But if you focus on that, that becomes your God. That becomes your focus. That becomes who you are absolutely surrounded by. If you want victory over lust, if you want victory over anger, if you want victory over pride, don't try to be better at that stuff. Because you're going to fail and then you're back to square one and you keep going up a ladder and then falling back down to the first step. What you need to do is stand at the bottom and go, I struggle with lust, God. And I'm going to struggle with it tomorrow. And and if you don't do something, I'm going to struggle with this for the rest of my life. So I need you to come and step into this. And you are the author and the perfecter of my faith. So you, I need you. It's not about me trying to be better because I am going to fail every single time. And yet all that is required, it's so simple, is a bit of honesty before the King of Kings. I'm not even asking you to be honest with me. I fully expect that you're going to still hide some things. Uh, And you need to fully expect that I will too. I can't help it. (laughs) And and yet I know already that God sees right in. So why, why bother? Why bother hiding? An incredible encounter with the water of life awaits you that would brush away your ashes of shame and replace them with a, a beautiful crown of life. That, that, that would wash away your, your grief and your mourning and, and, and bring deeply nourishing and satisfying joy that, that would remove despair from your lips and from your thoughts and replace it with praise and adoration and awestruck wonder. Raise a hallelujah. And he goes on to say that true worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Worship depends upon truth. It depends upon it, absolutely. There's, there's genuinely no worship without being born in truth. The truth of who we are and the truth of who he is. We, we can't come to worship thinking that we've got to have it nailed down and perfected and, you know, hey God, I'm before you today, I can worship because I feel good and I'm clean. That's not a basis for worship. That's a basis for singing loud. It's not a basis for worship. A basis for worship is, God, here I am before you, a sinner, Ashamed, battling with fear, battling with anxiety, battling with, with depression, battling with trying to hide my, my stuff, battling with, with addiction, battling with, with anger, battling with bitterness. I, I, I'm battle, battling with these things, God. That's, I'm going to come to you this way and be honest with you. And I tell you, what will come out of your mouth will be sweet. That's what we mean when we sing, I'll raise a hallelujah. We're not, we're not just saying that all my circumstances are so nasty, people are so mean to me that I'm going to sing and I'm going to like, find the strength within myself to be able to stand up and go, hallelujah. No, I, I'm going to come and I'm going to raise a hallelujah by going, God, without you, I, I, I don't even have breath. I need you, Jesus. There's times where I don't feel like worshipping. I'm consumed with worry and things like the self or I'm maybe bored you know, stuck in a sinful pattern of thought or whatever it might be. And and you probably wouldn't even notice the difference in how I throw myself in and look heart and soul uh, and energetic and all in as I I worship. And and that could be one of two things. It could be that I'm choosing to worship through the storm. 
that I'm choosing to recognise who I am and what circumstances surround me, and I'm choosing to turn my eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. Or it could mean that I'm hiding in plain sight, that I don't want you to see that I'm not really engaged. And, and yet that's the dishonest worship. That's the dis- disconnected worship, and, and yet he knows. The truth does not exclude you from Jesus, and it never will. The truth of who you are, the truth of what you've done, the truth of how you've behaved, the truth of what you've thought and what you've said does not exclude you from the presence of Jesus, ever. Sin does not exclude you. It would if it wasn't for Jesus. It would, because sin cannot come into the presence of God. But Jesus has made a way, torn a curtain in two, used his own body to say, now there's a bridge, there's a way that you can come in, even with your sin, even with your shame, and let me wash that with the water of living waters. As I wrap up, if our worship is born out of good behaviour, it's not worship. And I know that might sound offensive, perhaps, to some people. It's because you're struggling to be honest with Jesus about who you are. If you think that being in this seat in this church is about having it together uh, and about being a really good moral example in your community and in your town and in this building, it's not. It's the truth that sets you free. What's the truth? We're flawed and we need a saviour. Is your worship about the song or the subject? True worship isn't paint by numbers. It's it's a genuine expression and it has to come out of a genuine encounter. So if this church is going to grow, it's going to grow out of invitation, not to church, but to encounter Jesus. And it means you inviting people to encounter Jesus, but you cannot do that on yesterday's manner. You cannot do that on yesterday's provision. You cannot say that 30 years ago, God did this amazing thing in me uh, and find that that would still be attractive here. And now you need, you, you, you need an encounter with Jesus today. You need a fresh encounter. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. It does not matter. You need a fresh experience and encounter of the risen Savior. And it starts with honesty, authenticity, Authenticity is something that's worthwhile. This town is not going to be changed by us doing church really well. It's going to be changed by us encountering the living God and then inviting people to come and meet him. That's how this church is changed. Uh, is changed. Incredible invitation comes out of incredible encounter. And I want to give you the opportunity. I know we're pressing time here. But we're going to respond now, whether that's where you are or whether that's coming forward as a declaration. I don't care what you do here. What I care about is what your heart does here, that you need a fresh experience of Jesus today. There's not a person in this building that I'm not talking to thinking, no, it's okay, you've got it. Not even myself. We need something fresh from the Saviour. I'm not asking you to embarrass yourself. I'm not asking you to do anything specific. I'm going to play a song in a minute. You can sit where you are. You can come forward if you like. I'm I'm going to ask the, the leaders to come forward and pray this way over you as we worship and as we respond. If you need change in your heart, a restoration of joy, an amplification of trust, if you need a deepening of faith, then come to the resurrecting King. And for the podcast, I'm just going to say amen. But for us here and now, there's an opportunity for you to...